This is episode 109 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. In today's episode, Jason Van Orden joins me and shares what he's learned about influence and helping others become top influencers in their field. Given that we often teach what we most need to learn, we also discuss what his work has revealed for him and the surprising tensions that have come up for him on his thought leadership journey. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm delighted to introduce you to Jason Van Orten. For over a decade, Jason has studied top internet influencers in order to decode the systems, psychology, and strategies they use to launch and grow world-class personal brands and profitable businesses. He's taught thousands of people around the world how to grow their audience, attract bigger opportunities, expand their influence, and have a greater impact in the world. Many of his students have become top authors, bloggers, podcasters, and speakers in their field. In September of 2005, Jason co-founded the first ever podcast about internet business and online marketing. It quickly became one of the top business podcasts in the world. To this day, it's one of the most profitable podcasts on iTunes, having generated millions of dollars in sales directly from his podcast. Jason has spoken around the world at some of the biggest conferences, teaching how to use internet media to launch and grow influential personal brands. In 2006, he wrote the best-selling book, Promoting Your Podcast, in which he was the first to crack the code for optimizing podcasts to get maximum exposure on iTunes. His work has been used to teach marketing at the university level and has been referenced on sites such as Forbes.com and Entrepreneur.com. He also practices what he preaches, having created multiple world-class influential brands of his own. Jason, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about influence, and I'm just ready to have a good show with you. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. It's uh, my pleasure to be here and chat with you. Great. So a lot of times when we talk about influence, especially um, amongst creative people or maybe compassionate people, it, it sounds like manipulation. Right? Mm. It sounds like, oh, wow, like I, I, want, I don't want to be an influencer or maybe I don't want to get influenced because I don't want to manipulate people and get them to do you know, different things. I want them to make their own choices. So right. let's dive a little bit into just really talking about influence and what it means and why maybe it's not such a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up because it, it does, it is worth diving into, you know, the nuances and shades of persuasion and influence manipulation. Where does one lead to the other? And, you know, of course I, the kind of influence that I'm, I'm talking about or that I, I, I try to talk about is, is the fact of, of wanting to give people more options, better options, but it's still up to them to select the options according, you know, people are not a means to your ends. They are ends in of themselves and, and that we recognize and respect that, of course. Um, I mean, my approach to, I mean, this just takes, you know, sales is probably where a lot of people get that, that icky feeling around persuasion and influence. And I, you know, in my opinion, if sales is done right, you know, you've taken the time to understand somebody else's circumstances, understand their objectives and bridged a gap for them and shown them the possibilities that are open to them. And then, uh, you know, if they choose to take that next step forward, giving them the, 
skills or the knowledge or, or resources, whatever that might be for them to then step into that. Uh, again, that ends that they are choosing for themselves. Um, now, obviously, when it comes to sales, sometimes people aren't, I mean, I think in an ideal situation, we're only influencing people who are ready to be influenced, right? And so that means that they're in the place where they're openly uh, top of mind looking for options for, I keep using the word possibilities, but they're looking for options, possibilities, solutions, uh, uh, you know, the means to, to enter into a new world that they want to create for themselves. And that's kind of a very, uh, I mean, the new world, I'm borrowing that from, you know, from Joseph Campbell's, um, you know, the hero's journey. But I don't know, that's a little bit of how I look at, at this process. And, you know, in the end, though, influence is about trust. It's about a relationship. And so, if you are influencing or persuading without first establishing trust and, um, you know, the, the right kind of credit, not, not just if you lean too much on credibility, I think that's where maybe it gets a little too cold and sterile. If you lean too much on marketing and, you know, spinning words and things like that, absolutely, that can get into the wrong places. And so I think there always needs to be that foundation of, of trust and understanding. And, uh, and one of my favorite words is empathy. So you got to you know, understand where that person's coming from. Big shout, because it seems like you've introduced uh, Kant's second category, or the categorical imperative from Kant, right? Treat mm -hmm. other people as a means um, of themselves, not just your own. And so big shout there. And Joseph Campbell at the same time, and, and one response. That's fantastic. We're warming this up. Nice. Um, you know, and I'm going to pull it in, because it seems like when we look at the art of influence, mm -hmm. there's this range of tools that one has, right? There could be manipulation, right? There could be... Um, coercion, there could be um, deception, you know, if we really want to go Machiavellian, there's this whole range of tools that we might use to influence someone. But I think there's sort of, you know, the light Jedi side of trust and empathy and um, getting people to see that what you want is actually what they want, um, so on and so forth. So, you know, I wanted to start that way because a lot of times, depending upon how we show up to a conversation about influence, it's like, uh it's like being a used car salesman or, or, you know, Tony Robbins or, you know, reading Dale Carnegie, which nothing wrong with any of those. Right. But I think there are these other ways in which, um, you know, I, I really appreciated Dan Pink's newest book to sell as human. We, we can't get out of the fact that we influence people. Right. The question is, are we doing it well? And are we doing it to do well? I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the nature of the world and life is that you know, I think we all want to make a difference, you know, make an impact. These are all phrases we hear, leave a legacy. I, you know, I don't know what, what phrasing people might use, but uh, the wonderful thing is, so here's, here are two things that really have, you know, hit me as I've, I've thought about this recently. Number one, I think there's a real need in the world actually for for us to see ourselves as influencers. You know, traditionally, let's go back two decades, an influencer was somebody who had a best-selling book or was on mainstream media TV or, you know, a celebrity of some sort. So, you know, the, the, the opportunities to influence and be seen were very narrow and, and few and far between. Whereas now, these days, because of the internet, because of the proliferation of, of broadband connections all over the world, because of mobile devices in people's pockets, because of all the channels that have popped up, you know, social media channels and video audio podcasting all these cool things uh now all of us are enabled and empowered to be an influencer if uh we want and the reason why i think there's actually a real need for it uh, uh you know i call this the, the phenomenon of the self-made influencer so i can decide right here you from your studio or your office there and me from my uh my office here at home it's like i want to share a message with the world a voice my voice with the world 
Now, why do I think that there's an actual real need for more people to step up and do that? Well, along with the acceleration of the opportunities to be an influencer, uh, there's also this, this staggering statistic that there, the, it's called the knowledge doubling curve. And that is that knowledge is now doubling at an exponential rate. To be more specific, about once every year or so, knowledge across the board doubles. The body of stuff coming out of the human brain doubles every year. And that's just staggering. I mean, if you consider, go back to uh, like the Gutenberg Press, which was, you know, a big change in uh, the proliferation of information. That was what, like the 1500s, something like that. And it still, with that big invention of the press, it took another 250 years after that to double the human knowledge base. So you can see very much a hockey stick thing. Why is this creating a need? Well, all of that knowledge is only as good as still the human computer. You know, there's this idea of the last mile, which comes up a lot in telecommunications. Like my, the speed of my internet coming into my house is only as fast as that last mile or that last piece of cable that's, that's bringing it here to me. I might have, you know, near me some really fast router or whatever, but it doesn't matter if, you know, that last cable or connection or whatever is, is wired to be slow. The last mile of human knowledge and impact, I think, is, is still a human brain. It's creative combinatorial, uh, you know, mechanism that brings these seemingly disparate ideas together and goes, and then shines it on something goes, here's something that's interesting. And it might solve this or better this or ease a pain or fulfill a desire. And so if human knowledge is expanding that quickly, well, we better expand the last mile human computer that's needed to bring that knowledge to people in a beneficial way. And I see every human brain, every person as you know, it's that unique cocktail of experience and story and knowledge and education. And, and, you know, I love a camera analogy because I can take a camera and put a different lens on it, different filters, and we can all take picture of the same thing and still have a slightly different perspective, a different photo that comes out of it. And so I think there's a need, not only an opportunity in the last decade, but this huge need for self-made influencers. And that's what fascinates me and excites me and why I love now helping people step into that role or expand that role using the wonderful tools that we have on the internet in a way going back to our beginning of our conversation that uh, um, does no evil that does good in the world right yeah well we've gone from a um, situation which there was a dearth of information Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, we're still old enough where we remember going to a library and having to look at books and reading encyclopedias to find out mm -hmm. stuff. And it wasn't just in your pocket all the time. So we've gone from an age in which there was a lack of information to where now we're in an age to where we're lacking context and coherence. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because information is doubling. There's more and more stuff coming at us. Mm hmm. So we need better processing capabilities to be able to process that stuff, weed out the good from the bad. But that right. also means people, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Weeding out the people who are just spewing content versus people who are telling us the stories that get us moving, the people that are tapping us into our whys, the people who are tapping us into the things that matter, right? So I think mm -hmm. we're just at this age where we're in the age of storytellers and synthesis right now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, of people who are able to do that. And we might say that that's where that's the basis of influence right now is actually being that curator of information, that curator of contents, that curator of experience that makes this whole crazy internet thing, which we can say as internet folks, right? Like this is the internet, but it's the world, man. It's the right. world at this point. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And so I like that you went that way because it's, um, it's interesting because on the one hand, as you mentioned, a lot more information, 
Um, everybody can pick up the mic. Everybody can own their own megaphone. So there's a lot more people um, shouting for better or worse. Um, and yet you're arguing or saying that we need more influencers. And let's, let's pull that out a little bit though, because it seems like more right. influencers means more information, more noise, right? more noise. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. That, and that's another very excellent point. And, you know, I think that it's important to note, it's important to note that, I mean, okay. So there's this idea in art and writing of finding your voice, right. Um, which is a very nebulous idea. And, and thankfully Todd Henry of like accidental creative and other wonderful books like that came out with, um, it's a great book about the, what does that mean to find your voice and find your perspective. And so just a quick, um, real quick, that's Louder Than Words by Todd. Louder than words. We'll hook it up. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and, and so it's true that, I mean, in my 10, 11 years of being online and creating um, content, I've definitely seen that noise level just get higher and higher and higher. And um, it, it's, uh, it can be frustrating and it can be overwhelming. And certainly attention is now a very rare um, commodity that we're really all trading in. I mean, for our message to be heard, for us to have an impact, we have, it all starts by getting the attention of people to whom our message is relevant and resonant and, and then stands out to them in some way is remarkable in some way. And so because of the raising of that bar, now it behooves all of us to be more tapped into this finding of our own voice. And, you know, there's the great, uh, um, Eric Glass quote of when we first start out, you know, we're kind of mimicking and just throwing stuff out there. So, you know, whenever I do see stuff that I'm like, oh, that just seems like a lot more noise. I try to be uh, a little bit sympathetic to the fact that it's like, well, we all had, I mean, when I was a musician and a songwriter, I used to write stuff that just sounded like the grunge bands at the time that I liked until maybe a few years later. And I started finding my own voice. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, ideally, if you want to step up and you want to be an influencer and you do want to offer something that's not only relevant and resonant, and, but also remarkable. And I like using those three R words because I think they all have very important meanings um, that you, you take that time to, to find the way that you uniquely influence. Um, it was very impactful for me to discover the work of Sally Hogshead who has, so here's another book. She has a book, you know, the, um, called Fascinate. And I think she just did a second version of it. She has an assessment that you can take that teaches you the unique way that you um, influence. And, and this was, I, I mean, it seems so obvious now, but like coming across her work and just kind of taking her assessment and reading her book. And I realized, oh, wait, I do have my own unique way of showing up in the world. And, you know, I was putting all this pressure on my way to write in, in, on myself to write in a certain way, uh, to write copy and be a salesman in a certain way. And then I, I've come to appreciate the fact that I'm much more of a, a teacher or a guide. And it might take me a little bit longer in that way to come to the point of influencing. And when I say influencing, I mean, you know, making an impact on someone's thinking and behavior in their life. That's okay. And that by just being the teacher and showing up in that way, I, you know, I actually do a much better service to the world and the people that I want to serve than if I try to have like, the brand with like mystique to it or, or, you know, the really luxury prestigious looking brand or whatever. Right. And so, um, I get my whole point here is that, yeah, there, it, it's there, the noise is just going to be part of the game. But my hope is that anybody who's trying to step into being an influencer does take that time to craft a message that has that remarkable bit to it of finding their voice and, and trying to, and not shying away from being their perspective. Cause going back to my whole thing about the need for self-made influencers, the only reason, the only way that you're contributing to the fulfillment of that need is by bringing your unique 
perspective, experience, story, voice, you know, all these things. And so, you know, th- that work is, is good work to do to discover those things. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, well, you probably heard of the um, assimilate, imitate, innovate sort of model that we go through as creatives, right? So we assimilate a bunch of stuff, then we imitate the people around us, and then we finally start to be able to innovate. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, people want to come out of the gate innovating, right? Mm -hmm. And that keeps people from even starting, right? Right. Um, But there's this awkward point to where I, I, you know, as I've helped people build brands and, and things like that. Um, where it's just like, you know what, you're going to have to go through this period of assimilating and imitating just to figure out what works. And the point is not to pick the right things at first, but to figure out what doesn't work for you. Like I'll pick on, um, you know, my, my friends tease me about this all the time. I don't like live streaming, like video live streaming. It's not my jam. Right. Okay. Because it's half entertainment. It's half like I get clicky monkey brain, right? I can't follow what's going on. I sound incoherent half the time. I mean, and I have that problem to start with. It's it's not my jam. Mm -hmm. And there's a way in which like if you're just starting out trying to build your influence, like, oh, you got to do Facebook Live. Mm. You got to do it. And then you're sitting there doing something that's totally not your jam. Yeah. Right? Um, I love... Anchor right now, right? Anchor two minute micro micro podcasting platform. You got to get what you set, what you think out in two minutes. It's a brilliant discipline. It's like Twitter for podcasting, right? Brilliant discipline. I love it. Um, and what I just wanted to say is, is there's this period where you're coming out where you have to join that noise and that fray, and you kind of have to be sort of that me too, right? Because you don't know what works, you don't know what fits you, and I think that's the thing is that when you're stepping out to become an influencer. Um, there's all this uncharted territory because they didn't teach you how to be an influencer at school. Right. Right. They taught you how to sit there and take a test and fill out the multiple choice and not get left behind. Right. 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 And so you, you know, whatever you come around with influencer, all of a sudden you're like, Oh crap, I have no idea how to do this. Mm -hmm. If you felt that way, welcome to the party. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And so let's, let's start about the, let's think about those first few steps though, because you've been doing this for, you know, 11 years, 11 and 12 years. Mm -hmm. What are some of the first steps when people want to come out as an influencer that you think they should take? Yeah. So the very first step that I think is critical is to, to know your, your audience. Now that's something that's always going to be um, you know, kind of, that you're going to be dialing in and refining and understanding, but it's got to start with audience and empathy. So come back to that word. I, I think empathy is like the most important word in marketing and in influence and in teaching. I mean, that's about uh, understanding the, the desires, the needs, the worldview, the identity of the people who, who you want to impact and influence. And so that, you know, your message can, again, be relevant and resonant and remarkable. Relevant meaning that it's connecting with like what's top of mind for them. If we have to get attention, well, then, you know, the way to get attention is to just enter a conversation that's already going on in their mind and is so highly relevant to what, you know, what they are most uh, anxious about, excited about, whatever, that they're like, oh, wait, that, you know, I mean, like, for instance, you know, the other day, a friend of mine posted a Facebook, something about going to Paris and needing input about Paris. Now, uh, this doesn't have to do with my business, but just seeing Paris because I lived there for a year, bam, that got my attention. And I'm like, here, let me type, you know, I want to give you some advice about that, right? So um, it starts with with um, with knowing like what are those things that are going to get attention for your audience. And I find that when it comes to being a self-made influencer, the most common 
kind of a formula or template is that you're either going to be helping an audience that's a past version of yourself or a present version of yourself. Um, so past version of yourself, it might be that, hey, back uh, you know, a few years ago, you lost 50 pounds and transformed your life uh, fitness. And now you have a story around that to tell and experiences. And so now you want to help somebody who's also in that uh, you know, same position. Or, you know, a present version of yourself. Um, an example I love using is that I bought a DSLR Canon camera a few years back. I wanted to kind of mess around with making a short film and doing some fun uh, stuff with video. So I went online looking for somebody who could have some insights of like, how do I actually use this thing? There's so many buttons on it. And I, I came across two different people. And one was like this pro who um, makes commercials like for big companies and he used a camera very similar to mine. And while I was very impressed, I was like, awesome. That's so cool that my camera is used by somebody who's professional. I had a very hard time like connecting with his blog posts and with his content because he was speaking to people with very different goals of their, you know, with their filmography and videography and, and just talking above my head, frankly, of how to use that. And then I find a site with this guy who, you know, the very first video I come across is him unboxing his camera, kind of looking at it going, man, I'm so excited, but I don't know how to use this thing, but stick with me because I'm just going to record videos as I learn and show you what it is that I, um, you know, as I go along. So that was like the take, take you along for the journey. We are in this together approach to influence and impact. So when you understand, you know, who is your audience uh, demographically, psychographically, what's the problem you're helping to solve for them? What are the challenges that are in the way of that goal that they have? Um, what are the myths and misconceptions that are out there? How, you know, what, what can you bring new to that conversation that's already going on in their mind? You know, that then it, it gets a lot easier to choose things like your platform, what kind of content you want to put out there, what kind of, and you know, if you have a business uh, goal in mind, what kind of products and services and programs you might want to put out there. Um, but that's the critical first step is to understand the, the audience that you want to serve. Man, I so appreciate that because I've often told people that when they're first starting their business, their avatar is going to be some past time slice of themselves, like mm -hmm. 80% of the time, right? I'm mm -hmm. um, going to be some past time slice. I'm, I'm curious though, because you mentioned when you talked about empathy, you mentioned understanding and there are different ways in the English language we could talk about understanding. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I've seen people get tripped up about is that they understand from sort of an analytic perspective of who mm. they're dealing with, but they mm. don't understand from a feelings perspective. Like they really don't feel what their people are feeling. And most of the times I've seen, and, and maybe your experience is different is when you don't feel what they're feeling and really get that pain, um, your business is going to take several pivots before you find an avatar that you really feel like not know, but feel what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, it is going to be an iterative process because you're kind of, you know, discovering and, and interacting with, um, I mean, one of the ways that I try to help my clients get past that analytical phase as quickly as possible is um, because, yeah, I mean, you use the word avatar and often when you hear people talk about this, it's like, oh, have a description of who they are and you maybe even tell a little story or something and even give them a name and stuff. But um I, you know, I, I think it's really, really important to, to, to do interviews or get out to meetups and talk to them in person. Um, I encourage my clients all the time to get on the phone with, you know, four or five people who kind of fit the description of who they're trying to help and ask very specific questions and talk to them face to face um, and listen to those emotionally based phrases that they share. So it might not be you know, I mean, yeah, they might say, I want to lose 50 pounds, but you're also listening for the phrases that are even more like underneath of like, man, I'm so tired of not having the energy to play with my kid like I want to. 
And so I'm just, you know, I can't let my kids childhood slip by and me not run around the park with them. So I'm going to lose this weight right now. That's a different level of, of understanding. And so now, you know, I talk about relevance and resonance. Resonance is starting to hear those kinds of phrases and understand them so that you are connecting more with the emotional want or desire. And, um, and then that, and you know, well, how does that help? Well, first of all, it helps you better understand the driving motivators that are going to lead them to actually take action and maybe buy your stuff. But it also gives you language to use in your own copy. It's like, now you can go in your copy and be like, you know, Hey, have you ever felt like you're just tired of not having enough energy to do the things that matter to you most, like playing with your kid after school. And when they read that, they're like, okay, not only is this relevant to me, cause yes, I want to lose weight, but it's resonant because this person is speaking my experience in a way that feels authentic and true to me. Um, now that, I mean, and that's something that I'm constantly updating and, and also, you know, as markets shift and as I meet more people and maybe I uncover new layers of my understanding of who I can serve best and how I can best serve them, you know, I'm digging into that more. At some point, I just got to get out there with these little iterative experiments um, and, and start seeing, you know, what the market says back to me. So whether that's, you know, soft launching a product, whether that's taking on a one-on-one -on -one client so that I do have that more direct. In fact, right now in my own business, you know, I've spent the last decade plus launching courses, very, like digital courses, one-to-many courses, very scalable, nice way to build a business. I'm actually completely shifting lately to do everything one-on-one -on -one, um, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on serving a different um, segment of the market with my one-on-one -on -one work and, or just with my business work now. And so I want to go back to doing one-on-one -on -one work, even though that might not scale immediately as quickly, but it's because I will get a more intimate understanding of the wants and desires and challenges of, of these self-made influencers who I want to help get their message out there in a more powerful way. And so it, this is going to help me with, um, with empathy. One more thing I want to mention there is I, I think, you know, empathy, it's like, how do you learn empathy? And for me, I, this is something that helped me. And that was just learning how to break. And that maybe this is bringing it back to being too analytical, but it's worked really well for me. And that is being able to just see everything and break everything down in terms of needs. Um, you know, and the, the obvious example that we've all heard is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which, you know, talks about, you know, shelter and food and then self-actualization. Um, there's this wonderful book out there called Nonviolent Communication, and it's about relationships and speaking in relationships. And the entire thing is about, you know, your relationships and your communications with others are going to be better. The more that you learn to identify your own needs, communicate your own needs, understand someone else's needs, communicate their needs, find a mutual solution. And that has actually been one of the best marketing books that I've ever read. And it's not even a business or marketing book at all. But that's that's how I think about everything, writing copy, de designing, um, you know, opt-in freebies for my business online, designing courses, uh, workshops, whatever. It's like, I, I always want to like dig down and like understand the building block needs. I mean, I could even write a whole thing about what are the needs that this thing is fulfilling for me, right? It's like need for connection. Maybe for somebody it's a need for safety because they like the fact that at night, if they've got a phone on them and something happens at any time, they can call, right? There's all kinds of fundamental needs that go into why we buy an iPhone or any smartphone for that matter, right? So, um, those are a few things that I would share when it comes to like taking it down from a little more of an analytical perspective. Um, and that's kind of how I help my, my clients work through really understanding their audience well, so they can be resonant and not just relevant. We talk a lot about nonviolent communication, um, on the podcast. I think almost every other podcast we mentioned nonviolent communication, we have yet to talk about nonviolent communication, um, as a tool for learning marketing. So I'm glad you slid, you slid that in there. A lot of times we end up with these themes that we, you know, teach for decades, let's say. And at root of it, it's us needing to teach what we most need to learn. Mm -hmm. 
How is teaching about self-made influence and, and influencing in general really solving your own itch and problem? Ah, wow. Yeah, great question. So, yeah. So, interestingly, um, yeah, I mean, that is definitely true if I think about it. So, I lived in Paris for in 2014, and a mutual friend of ours, Corey, was living there at the same time. And um, this was like a culmination of lifestyle achievement for me. The ability, I had set this goal with my wife when we were engaged and before I even knew I'd ever be an entrepreneur and I had no idea how to like make it happen to live abroad. I just knew I wanted to live in Paris someday. Um, and I made that happen. Now, the reason I bring that up is it was very interesting being there and accomplishing that and starting to think about, well, what's next, right? Um, and I'll admit that, uh, you know, the last 10 years uh, online, I've done a lot of training, again, digital training for entrepreneurs. Um, but a lot of the drive there has been, you know, helping people, you know, a lot of what I teach is like that, that initial step of getting out of the job that you hate and, and stepping into being an employer. And a lot of it was also me discovering my own, like upping my level of freedom and lifestyle and choices in life. And I found myself kind of in a pivot there. Maybe, I don't know if it was having reached this goal of living in Paris, maybe that I, you know, I had a child who was a couple years old and so I was a parent now, maybe, I don't know, but kind of that what's next. And I started seeing it pivoting from wanting more lifestyle to wanting more uh, legacy, so more impact in the world. And so um, as I thought about that, you know, I thought about, you know, a lot of my favorite students that I had taught as entrepreneurs did through everything that we teach everything that we taught them reached a point of, of keeping pace with the traditional experts in their fields and had this wonderful opportunities to be standing on stages or being published alongside academics or, you know, whoever researchers and stuff like that. And so I guess for me, part of it was in my own desire to expand my legacy of what I share, you know, a great way to do that seems to be empowering other people to amplify. I say, you know, what I love doing is helping influencers and experts to amplify their impact through digital content and digital courses and helping them come up with a strategy for that. And so obviously that's a great way to pay it forward. If I like help, you know, however many influencers to share their message and take this body of, of rapidly expanding human knowledge and organize it in meaningful ways, um, that feels like indirectly, it kind of helps expand my own legacy. But then also I, because this is the stuff that I've been doing and teaching over a decade, and I want to continue doing it at an even higher level. Um, so as I discover new ways to elevate my legacy and elevate my influence in the world, then I get to also continue to teach that stuff to the people that, um, that I like best serving. So um, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of what comes to my mind in that question of how does what I have selected to do right now and focus my time on also contribute to the things that I want to and need to learn. So a lot of times when we make a, a brand and pivot and things like that, that's, that's a perfect time for all of our inner critics and demons to come and start attacking us, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Because it's like, oh, like you're doing this new thing. Who the hell are you and what's wrong? And, you know, things like imposter syndrome that popped up. So has any of that popped up for you as you've started making this tilt and, and how are you dealing with that? Uh, yeah, you bet you it has. Um, it's so interesting that, and it's really blindsided me. So, I mean, just the, the little bit of context for, for people who might know, not know me, I have a podcast that's been going for 11 years. And that podcast has been, it was the very first podcast ever about internet business. And that podcast audience was beginning, beginning, beginning entrepreneurs who want to get out of their job by starting an online business, which was a past version of myself 13, 14 years ago, right? 
I've now been online doing this stuff for 11 years. And in this pivot that I kind of just, you know, talked a little bit about, I want to move now to working with people who are, are farther along and working with people who they've already put in their 10 or 20,000 hours of being an expert. Like they're really good at like, maybe they're speaking, maybe they've written a book, maybe they're doing consulting or therapy or something very meaningful and impactful. And they know their work is good. And they know that they're a master of what they do. And they're looking at the internet going, I know I could amplify that if I could just like master the strategy of, of content platforms and marketing and, and digital programs and things like that. So that's just to give a little bit of context. So as I've shifted from, you know, being able to use like 10% of my knowledge teaching beginners and wanting to really frankly serve and work with more people who are my peers, um, you know, people who, who have been around a long time mastering what they do, but they just need like that strategic perspective that I can bring from my experience. It's definitely brought up those feelings of like, yeah, but what, what do I have um, different to bring? And it's really weird because I'm looking at this going, man, I've been doing this stuff for 11 years. Why in the world am I feeling like, you know, I'm looking at all the noise online and everything I feel like I'm coming up with in my brain. It's like, oh, that's being said. That's already been done. Like, how is this any different? And, um, and you know, as I, so I started diving recently back into studying imposter syndrome. And one thing that stuck out to me is actually the more uh, experience and farther along in your success are, and the more that you have to point to their success, it's actually that much easier and more, more pronounced in the imposter syndrome. And it's kind of like, you feel like you have more, I guess, to prove or more to lose. Um, and I think that was definitely it. I'm like, well, if I've been around this long and I want to be this guy that's out there like, Hey, come benefit from my decades experience of, uh, you know, sharing uh, content online it's like, well, I want people to see me as like one of the absolute, um, you know, best, best there is. Right. And so perfectionism starts uh, kicking in and, but I just think it's very uh, normal at a pivot point for, for those demons to come raging forward. And so I had to cut myself some slack and realize that, you know, I, I am stepping out in some, um, some new ways and I am, you know, trying new things and I want to write another book. And so that's going to bring up lots of, um, you know, self doubt and stuff. So just seeing that this is a cycle and it's normal. Cause I guess in my mind, I was assuming, Hey, you, you tame those demons once you don't have to deal with them again, but it's just not true. And like, you know, you can find quotes from all kinds of people. Tina Fey talks about it in her, you know, most recent book, how she's, she's learned. It's like, yep, there's the demons again. And I'm just gonna, I just have to be mindful of it and know that, you know, they're going to quiet back down. And in those moments when I'm feeling present and, and confident that I'm going to ride that freaking wave until, you know, the demons come back around and I have to be a little patient with them and myself. Um, so I've, I've been learning, you know, it comes back to mindfulness of just being more aware of that and, and knowing how to kind of, uh, you know, see that for, for what it is, but, um, knowing that it's normal and that very, very high achieving people deal with this all the time has definitely helps, uh, help me with that. Cause it got, it got pretty pronounced there a few months ago. Yeah, I mean, in the work that I've done with people over the last, you know, however long that's been. Um, yeah, I, I kind of look at it like, you know, if you look at, say, the men in the arena quotes, right? When that's the, yeah. the Roosevelt is like, you know, you're on the field. But I kind of look at it as like, as soon as you're able to master whatever level that you're on, is like the gates open up and out come some more demons and challenges and things. It's like, oh, wow, right? Here we go again, right? Yeah. And that just happens. And I think at a certain point, not to get to that and not to promulgate that myth that if you're not working hard and going through, you know, the resistance that you're not doing hard work. But I think at a certain level, if, you know, once or twice a month, you're not looking and saying, you know what, like there's this thing there that I'm dealing with. I really wonder whether you're playing at the top of your game, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're just, you're not letting those gates open up again and saying, what's the newest, um, what's the next level that I'm going through right now? Yeah. 
and understanding that that comes. And the other thing that you mentioned, and I'm glad you did, is that um, we go through these different influence phases or we go through these different projects where we might be doing something for three to five years and then it's time to either tilt or add a new dimension to our body of work or to do a different type of project that requires us to not just step into new skill levels, Mm -hmm. but also... um, change our positioning in the marketplace and you know jason as you know like changing people's positioning of how they understand you in a marketplace really challenging to do right yeah but we're going to do it every three to five years one way or the other right Right. you're going to launch a new book you're going to do a new program so i just wanted people to know that as they're going through their career their creative career their their um their influencer career you're going to go through those waves Mm -hmm. and it's not a sign that you're doing something wrong in fact it's probably a sign that you're doing something right yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, and I think if you're not seeing those changes or desire to change, then you're probably not innovating. And so you're going to atrophy. And I've definitely made that mistake in business and, and my body of work of those times where I, I can look back and see I was definitely resting on my laurels. It's like, oh, things are just going well. People are liking this. Great. I'm just going to ride this and kind of uh, enjoy the opportunities and the money and whatever that's coming from it. Um, but there's always, you know, the market's shifting, somebody else is nipping at your heels or somebody is going to come along or nothing else. Like, you know, and not to like talk about comparison with other people or whatever it's, I mean, competition in the market is a real thing, right? But even just for your own personal you know, growth, and that's what happened to me in Paris is I think I, I kind of saw that, that, uh, that atrophy point or that like kind of a plateau hitting for me. And I had to, and it was just that I I needed a new level of mastery. I needed a new level of challenge. And so that required pivoting the audience I'm focusing on that required setting bigger goals um, and, and looking to influence in new ways my, myself. And so ironically, and kind of going back to your previous question, like that's where I've landed of wanting to help people who are in that position in many ways. Like they're looking for that next level of reach or that next level of opportunity or that next level of, of impact and influence. And they know that the internet is this wonderful amplifier or magnifier of what we do. Um, and, and yet it kind of stinks to like stretch yourself in a new place where you're like, man, I'm, I'm like PhD level in this thing that I'm really good at. I mean, literally or figuratively, but then when it comes to internet strategy, all of a sudden you're feeling like a kindergartner or something, right? It's like, I mean, you know, figuring out what platform, um, I mean, I love that you mentioned, and this is, and now I'm harkening back to when you were saying, um, you know, how you discovered the live streaming thing wasn't a fit for you, but um, and that's fine. That's great. Like, I'm glad that you like saw that. Cause that's a lot of people like just trying to decode whether it's their platform, like which channels to use, how to plug them together in a way that attracts the right people and moves them along. And in a, in a, so you maximize not only your income, but your impact with people. And, um, you know, it's, it's totally normal to feel a wash and all that stuff. Um, but, um, it, you know, that's when, you know, you're, you're growing too. And so I try to remind myself like, well, okay, this is what I signed up for. I want to grow. Yes. I want to innovate. Yes. I want to have a bigger body of work. So the aggravation and the intimidation or lacking lack of confidence, whatever at times is just part of what I've signed up for here. So let's just uh, move through it. And you were in an interesting place with, with your podcast and online business mastery, because you didn't really have to change. I mean, it's a successful right. business, right? Um, you're in one of those positions, which I, I sometimes understand because like you started early enough that now people are saying things that they think are new, that you said things 10 years ago, like you said that 10 years ago. Right. right? And you're like, yeah, no, that's not really new, but it seems new because they didn't know about it. So you're in that position. And in a lot of ways you end up in 
like a golden cage that you have the key to, right? Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that because it's not easy to pivot. It's easy to pivot from something that's not working because you're in a certain type of pain. Right, right. It's hard to pivot from something that is working. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that has made, in some ways, I wish that, you know, the, the business had some kind of catastrophic failure or something that might've made things easier for me. Uh, and not to say that, you know, uh, I, you know, we still do our podcast and we, yeah, we still have all that, the, those courses and things going, but um, it did start feeling a bit like a golden cage. And it was just cause there was part, yeah, I didn't have the latitude to express or grow in, in certain ways. Um, thankfully, and this is so often the case, like I, I had to just kind of like, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but I just had to like take the first step of going outside of the cage for even the next step to illuminate itself. I mean, in my mind, basically what I was thinking is, man, I need a sabbatical from this business that I've created so that I have the privilege or the, the, the resources, the time, the energy to explore different things in order to, for my own just sanity and fulfillment. Um, and in my mind, as soon as I said that to myself, I'm like, but that's impossible. Like this business is still like, I'm the voice of this business. My, you know, I have a, a co-host on the show. Like we are the faces and the voice of this business. It's not like I can just step away. Um, and, you know, thankfully bit by bit creative solutions, like just the right hire finally like started showing up and, and, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing that I was going to be able to just like sit in my office with a spreadsheet and figure out this path to, to, you know, new options and, and, uh, you know, new fulfillment for myself. I had to just kind of like step into this completely uncertain and, and at times seemingly impossible puzzle of how to make that happen. Um, and, you know, thankfully now I, you know, now in hindsight, I kind of go like, man, I could have pivoted and I should have, could have, would have, should have like pivoted a lot faster. And I did, you know, I think there were times where like just this comfort of like, Hey, the money's there. Someone's running my business now. And, you know, and stuff kind of helped, not helped, uh, allowed, allowed me to stay in transition longer than was maybe ideal. And so, um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know what the point of trying. Somebody just recently said to me, it's like, you know, it, the longer you stay in this nebulous transition, the phase, the harder it is to actually like extract yourself out of it. So um, anyway, I'm not sure exactly what the, what the, the lesson is to be pulled from there, but I guess just that, yeah, sometimes, you know what, these plateaus inevitably take a leap of faith. And that might be hiring somebody and that's scary to do. That might be letting clients go and that's scary to do. That might be letting go of income streams and that's scary to do. Um, so yeah, inevitably just be ready for it. And the longer that you sit there and resist the leap of faith, the freaking harder it's going to get to get to that, you know, that next thing. I guess that's the point. I had to like talk through it there for five minutes. And um, that's the point that I, uh, something I've just relearned again recently for myself. Yeah, well, it's easy for us um, to get stuck in that space because at a, either a fictional or real level, you're potentially giving up status. We don't like giving up status. You're potentially giving up influence. We don't yeah. like giving up influence. You're potentially altering your um, your income. We don't like losing income, right? Um, so there's, you know, all these types of things. You're altering the safety that you have in certain places because people know you as a certain thing and, you, you know, you don't have to explain yourself all over again. And people are like, oh, it's Jason. Like, he, this is what Jason does. And you're like, nah, I'm doing this new thing, right? Mm -hmm. So we give up a lot of those different things like that. And um, 
so it's, it's really easy to get stuck in that place of like, yeah, you know, um, I'm good where I am in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm really curious, what was the, um, the emotional discomfort that finally got you to either take the big leap or, you know, to do like the Mario hop where you're taking a couple hops. Right. Um, so there were a couple points, um, you know, so I mentioned the kind of that, that living in, while I was living in Paris, start thinking of what's next. And I did find myself a little bit, um, I, I mean, you know, things, things in my business just weren't as rewarding as they used to be. Um, and so there's a plateau in, in my fulfillment. And, and this kind of confused me because, I mean, a big piece of what I like helping people find is like, okay, what, what are those unique abilities and strengths and I call them fulfillment factors and things that, that, that bring you joy and creativity in your life and let's construct a business. And I thought, hey, how great is it that I've been able to spend 10 years like bit by bit creating this business that a bigger and bigger capacity allows me. And then also it was like that collapse and it's like, wait, I'm not enjoying it like I used to. Um, and even doing like my podcast, Internet Business Mastery, um, was starting to become a drag, you know? And so, um, you know, that was one thing. Now, you know, thankfully, again, through a key hire and kind of restructuring a few things and finding, carving out that time for me to have some exploration, I started enjoying doing the podcast again and, and enjoying the bits of my business that, I mean, thankfully, I got to a, a very fortunate position where I was able to work on Internet Business Mastery. So that was my primary like income stream and business for the last 10 years for just like a few hours a week. And the rest of the time was mine to, you know, get out and network here in New York city, um, to, to do reading, to, to do journaling, whatever, like experimentation, um, in order to kind of figure out like where I wanted to go next. A few months ago, I was on a strategy call with, um, with, you know, our, our online business manager and my, my, um, my co-partner, my co-founder in the business. And I was like, basically we were at this inflection point where we could see the trajectory of the business. And it was like, we were going for this really aggressive growth still, but my business partner and I had kind of extracted ourselves except for still doing the show and the coaching calls and stuff. And all of a sudden, like we realized like we had like those things were at odds, the aggressive growth uh, goals that we had and our desire to also have space to pursue other things were not going to be able to happen at the same time. And this was a little bit of a crisis moment for me because I think it realized that I, you know, I definitely realized it was either like, Hey, re-engage with this business in order to grow it aggressively or else just be okay with what it is for however much longer it goes. And, um, and that might not sound like that big of a deal, but I'll tell you what, for a few weeks there, I feel like it was, it was a, it was like an identity crisis. All of a sudden I was just like, you know, this thing that I'd built for 10 years and I was like making the decision. I mean, it's not like we're shuttering it tomorrow. We're still going to do this podcast, but it was like, you know, it was still this, this decision not to just like push and grow and grow and just like, just let it be. And if that means that like it has a life cycle now to it, whether that's a year or three years or six months, like, okay, fine. So be it. Um, and so I don't know if I've actually even mentioned that on the podcast or anything. Um, so anyway, we came to do a decision where it's like, okay, you know what? We're lowering our goals and expectations. Yes, we're going to continue the show. Yes, you know, all of our coaching students that are on board, we're still going to support them. But we're just not going to, you know, we, we're going to, you know. So I think, I guess the lesson's there. The lesson there is that when you feel that friction and dissonance, often you need to either renegotiate expectations with yourself 
um, or potentially with other people that, you know, either that have, you do have explicit expectations with or that you are projecting expectations onto them that may not even be there. So that was existing between me and my partner in the business, me and my customers, me and just myself. And so through a few weeks of renegotiating what I expected of myself in the business, thankfully I was able to bring that anxiety back down and be okay with, you know, but I had to basically say, it was like, it was like basically saying like, what if this thing in a year, this other business that I've sweated and toiled over for a decade, what if it's gone in a year? And just like being okay with that in my mind so that I can move forward, whether or not it actually is gone in a year, if that makes sense. So, Yeah, well, I mean, we often end up in that case to where sometimes when we make decisions like that, it's, it's easy to assume either extreme or worst case scenarios, right? Um, but what I like um, that you mentioned is I, I think in talks of entrepreneurship and business, we don't talk about sufficiency enough. Hmm. We talk a lot about growth. We talk a lot about scaling. We talk a lot about all of that jazz, but we don't talk about it being okay for your business to get to a point to where it's sufficient for your needs. It matches right. your right. energetic expectations. It, it meets your economic goals. Right. It meets where you are in your life. And that is friggin' awesome. It doesn't have to continue, right? You don't have to beat your revenue goals every year, right? You don't yeah. have to like do that, but we somehow get caught up into that mind space of what it means to be an entrepreneur and a smart business person yep. to always be growing and scaling and, you know? Yep. And a lot yeah, of times yeah, it that's exactly, that's exactly that shift I had to make. And it was, it was painful. Um, and I said, it was a bit of an identity crisis. Cause I did have in my mind, this whole identity and even the, out in the market of like, Oh, I'm the internet business mastery guy. And it's this thing that, you know, has been going for years and continues to grow and impact people and blah, 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 blah. And you know, this part, and I was like, yeah. And I just like, it was like, I hadn't completely let go of that identity or, or I hadn't reached a point where I would be okay letting go of that identity so that I could fully embrace the new identity that um, was ahead of me. And um, that was, excuse the New York uh, traffic as it comes through by my apartment. But um, the, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly, you're right. And I think, I think I've arrived at a point of sufficiency when it comes to my other business so that I can move on to, to new things that excite me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more important that we learn how to live a thriving life than learn how to grow a thriving business. Right. And if the, if the latter is displacing the former, we, we've got things upside down, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of changes, a lot of growth. Um, and I think you may have already answered this, but I like asking it anyway, what's the most surprising or unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Well, so one that surprised me, which we already talked about was the imposter syndrome coming back up again. Um, let's see what else has surprised me that I'm going through right now. Um, I mean, you know, it's in addition to the imposter syndrome, it's just in general, like mindset stuff that, again, I thought that I had completely, and, and that was just some false thinking that I completely dealt with it. And this is stuff that I help my own clients with, you know, money mindset stuff, um, you know, coming to one-on-one, -on -one, coming back and doing one-on-one -on -one work again, you know, bringing in clients and, and pitching clients and pricing that is very different than pricing digital courses. 
And all of a sudden, like digital courses, there was a little bit of an arm's length. I mean, it was still me and I would put myself into that and my ideas and my, you know, people are listening to me on audio and video and stuff. But now, you know, I'm in a place where people are hiring me for an eight hour strategy day and sitting down with them in a room. And it's just me in that room. And it's my brain personally, like communicating them. And there's a certain amount of money that they've paid me to be in that room for eight or, you know, for 90 days of strategy calls with me. And, and so there's just a, this unique money mindset thing that's different from the digital coursing that has risen up again, as far as just, I mean, it's something we all struggle with at different places is valuing our own strengths and abilities and resources that we bring to the game. And of course, like when I, made that shift in my mind that I want to do one-on-one work again for a lot of the reasons I already talked about. I had to then be okay at some point, like quoting what I knew or felt like I was worth. But then at the same time, part of my brain going like, wait a second, like, you know, somebody's expecting an ROI on that. Now, thankfully, everybody's been thrilled so far. Right. And so, you know, it, it was just a bit of like that renewal of self-efficacy that needed to happen as I, as I stepped into or re-stepped into new roles that I hadn't had for a very long time. So, um, you know, re-expanding money mindset. And so, yeah, the things that have surprised me, it's, it's interesting. It's all, a lot of it is like mindset related, just those games that we, we play with ourselves. And um, so that's what it's been for me. Exactly. Well, and that's the funny thing about selling a service and selling one-on-one stuff is you're selling magic sometime in the future, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You, you really are like someone might pay you for a strategy day and then three months later, you've got to hope that the magic comes together in the right way or yeah. you've got to trust that it does. Whereas when you sell a product, they give you money. The product either works or it doesn't. If it doesn't work, you give them the money back. It's, it's not, it's a different sort of scenario of like, right. wow, Right. That's got to all come together in the right way um, for someone's, you know, what amounts to someone's mortgage for a few months. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a non-trivial thing. Right. And so, yeah, it's a completely different sort of mind loop that you got to go through and asking someone real time, like, this is what it is. Here's how much it costs. How does this fit your budget? And then just shutting up. So challenging to do, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. So if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work um, from this episode, what would you want that one thing to be? Um, wow. The one thing to be, uh, you know, something that I, I really like sharing these days is that, uh, you know, we established that there's an opportunity for influence. We established that there's a need for self-made influencers, um, and if somebody's listening to this going, hey, I want to take my body of work to the next level. I want to expand my influence. I want to expand my reach or have bigger opportunities or, you know, have a clear legacy that I'm reaching, re, uh, leaving behind. Um, one thing that I, I like saying a lot to, to on interviews like this or one on with my clients is, is the fact that you, you need to be okay with the fact that there's not a one size fits all answer. Um, it's very sexy in the marketing for people to come out and say, I've got the one size fits all answer. Like for instance, okay, we'll just take that example of you saying, I don't quite, you know, you, you discovered you'd enjoy the live broadcasting thing. And even though everybody right now may be like, hey, Facebook live, huge opportunity, blah, 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 do it, do it. Right. And then FOMO kicks in and you don't want to miss out on this. It may or may or not be the right fit for you. Right. So when it comes to your 
platform strategy. So the, the digital channels of advertising and content that you use. When it comes to how you structure your programs and workshops online, uh, the voice, we talked about voice that you use uh, in your emails or in your podcast, your videos, whatever. Um, there's no one size fits all answer. And, and all the marketers, they want to say there is because that's enticing to dangle that and go like, here's the thing that changed it all for me. And, you know, maybe, maybe not that changed it all for them. Actually, I think we have a very hard time knowing what all the factors were that led to our own success. Success. I mean, and so that leads us, you know, who are looking for that right strategy to get it. Like we have vision. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing everybody who listens to a show about creative giants is probably a visionary person. Often what trips us up is um, choosing strategies that are ill-fitted to us. And so, you know, the ways that you find the right... So first of all, just recognizing no one fits all, one size fits all answer and being okay with that. And then enjoying, you know, we've talked about incrementally like, you know, discovering things. So I'm a big fan of incremental experiments, feedback loops, you know, like so that you get those feedback from the market or from yourself. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, tapping into your own intuition of what's good for you and, and not just looking at somebody else and going, oh, I'm going to duplicate their success. I'm just going to do everything that they did because guess what? You can't duplicate their timing, their strengths, their values, everything like that, right? So being okay with the, the not one size fits all answer and whether it's through, you know, getting the outside perspective of a mastermind, a coach, a consultant, um, whether it's through, you know, journaling and whatever intuitive pieces that help you, whether it's, um, you know, just through iterative experience uh, or iterative experiments, being okay with arriving bit by bit at the platform and the message and the audience and, and, you know, and then those things will expand from there. And that's what I'm really passionate about today is helping self-made influencers who are coming online, find the right fit, strategic fit for them that feels good, that gets the results that they want. And that's, um, that does amplify their message and their meaning in a way that's, that, um, you know, that their vision is that they're, they're envisioning in their own mind. So that's the, the thing that I'd like people to take away. That's fantastic. Jason, my man, it's always wonderful to talk to you. And I appreciate you carving some time out in your New York day to hang out with us on the Creative Giant Show. <laughs> yeah, it's been my pleasure, Charlie. Ask a great questions. This is stuff I love talking about. Uh, so it's been my pleasure here to, to chat with you and, and uh, your audience today. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Jason. There's not one size that fits everybody when it comes to your influence, your platform, and your body of work. So what are you doing today to figure out what size does fit you. Until next time, stand tall. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll also enjoy episode 14 with Johnny B. Truant and episode 5 with Jonathan Fields. And if you're digging the creative show and you'd like to expand my influence a little bit, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.